cybercrime markets, the latest movers, shakers and losers, and how are banks responding to the rise of cryptocurrency. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. The cybercrime-as-a-service economy continues to flourish, furnishing would-be criminals with all manner of tools, from ransomware and stolen access credentials to purloined payment card data and even supposed hitmen. Well, joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, the executive editor of Data Breach Today and Europe. Matt, you've recently reported that while cybercrime services live on, there have nevertheless been some notable takedowns. Yes, we've seen a flurry of arrests in Russia since the beginning of the year. And the arrests have disrupted multiple things, including some well-known cybercrime markets or services. Now, I think it's fascinating to track who is buying and who's selling these types of services because you have this cybercrime as a service economy that's really enabling so many things. For example, If you install malware on point-of-sale devices and use it to steal the magnetic stripe data, what do you do with that? Well, typically, you would sell it to or advertise it on what's known as a carding market. These allow people to buy dumps, which is the term for the stolen payment card magnetic stripe data. And the carders who buy this data then take it and use it to either make counterfeit cards that they can use to commit fraud, you know, buy goods and things, or they also buy goods that they can resell. For example, luxury items that they put up on eBay. And so they can monetize the stolen payment card data that way. So you have this really dynamic market for the stolen payment card data, and you have multiple ways in which it's being bought and sold. All of this is what we refer to when we say cybercrime, these sorts of approaches. So it's really interesting that earlier this month, three shops, Furum Shop, Skyfraud, and my favorite titled Trump's Dumps went dark. Now they went dark because the Russian government's Ministry of Internal Affairs, Department K, which focuses on technology crime, seized the site's infrastructure, put up a takedown notice, said this content has been blocked. They did the same with another market called Ultimate Anonymity Services, or UAS, which specialized in selling remote desktop protocol credentials. So if you bought these, it would give you a working foothold in a corporate network, for example. So if you wanted to steal the data in the network or deploy ransomware, you could do that. So again, a service used by many, and many ransomware gangs use RDP, they rely on these sorts of service providers to enable their criminal activities. So the fact that these have gone down is very notable, and thankfully it is disrupting at least some of the cybercrime as a service economy that we've been seeing. And do we know if anyone was arrested? We think people were arrested. Yes, it can be really difficult to tell exactly what's happening on the law enforcement front in Russia. But at the same time that we saw the takedown of these markets, we also had reports of arrests that threat intelligence experts have now tied, based on the names of the individuals, to the sites that were shuttered. So there were two people in particular who were arrested at about the same time who are affiliated with Get 
Net, which is a domain service provider which had registered Skyfraud, Trump Stumps, UAS, and Ethereum. So there's the commonality there. We also saw last month two other sites go dark. UniCC was one, and then there was an affiliated site called LuxSox. Now, when UniCC went dark, the admin had announced his supposed retirement. But Russian news agency TASS reported that, in fact, Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, had arrested UNICC's alleged administrator, who's Andrei Novak, as well as some of his accomplices. Now, Novak's name's interesting because he's wanted by U.S. authorities. He was named in a federal indictment, unsealed in 2018, charging him with being the alleged founder of an organization called the Infraud Organization, which is a financially focused cybercrime syndicate that was disrupted in 2018, but not before authorities say it had led to $530 million in losses. So Russia never extradites its citizens. Any of the suspects I've mentioned just now are unlikely to ever appear before a U.S. judge. So as long as he doesn't leave Russia, he probably isn't looking at too much time in jail if he even does go to jail. Nevertheless, are Russian cybercriminals running scared? Experts who track cybercrime forum Shatter say the answer is yes. Some crooks do appear to have been rattled. Now, when there's a law enforcement operation in the West, one of the goals is to sow chaos, confusion, and fear in the criminal community. So why ever Russia has been arresting these individuals, and there's some question about whether it's just politically expedient with the Ukraine situation continuing. Whatever reason Russia's done this, it does definitely have a deterrent effect where it leads criminals, I think, at least some criminals, to think twice. So I was talking about this with Israeli threat intelligence firm Kila, and they said that the arrest of these market admins and is the arrest in January as well of the suspected affiliates of the Revil or Sodano Kibi ransomware operation has led to a lot of chatter about people questioning, for example, did the UNCC admin really retire? And then we find out, "Mm, probably not. Also, people asking, what's going on? I thought as long as you were a cyber criminal in Russia and you followed the rules, you weren't going to get messed with. And here we definitely see what looks like people being hung out to dry. And finally, Keila told me that with the Revil arrests, also with some of the dark net markets that have been shut lately and the cybercrime forums. Some cybercrime forum users don't believe the official statements. They don't think the arrests were real. Like the moon landing was supposedly faked. This is a conspiracy theory on the cybercrime front, some of them said. So playing devil's advocate for the moment, were the arrests real? Yes, right? Maybe we don't actually have visibility into what is going on in Russia. But based on what multiple Russian news agencies have reported, people have been appearing in court. So it does indeed look like at least some of this is real. But it's notable that aside from the accused in-fraud organization person, we're not seeing anybody get arrested who looks like a major player, especially on the ransomware front. So historically, experts say the Russian government has looked the other way when it comes to cybercrime, so long as it doesn't target Russians or allies, and so long as practitioners occasionally do a little favor for the government. We have extensive documentation now of ties between 
well-known cyber criminals and Russian authorities, documentation in the form of US indictments, which chart this in surgical precise detail. For example, the creator of the notorious Zeus banking Trojan has long been accused of working directly with the Russian government on multiple fronts. So the fact that we haven't seen these big names suggests that the Russian government is keeping some of these more sophisticated players and operations, possibly in its back pocket. But at least, Matt, in the short term, we are seeing some disruption. Definitely, that is good news. So 50% of the market share of the Carter markets traced to the markets that have now been shut. Historically, we've seen established players and new players quickly move to seize that market share. There's money to be made there, despite the risk. And we keep seeing people providing, even though they could get arrested. So unfortunately, I suspect that very quickly, we'll have supply back up to where it was before. But at least we are seeing some disruptions and some cautionary notes now being sounded in the cybercrime community when it comes to what formerly seemed like an untouchable service that one could provide. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. There's no denying that digital payments technology is forcing the financial system to evolve. One person who's dealing with the realities of this shifting space is Adam Evans, VP, Cyber Operations and CISO for Royal Bank of Canada. Our Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, sat down with Evans recently in advance of our upcoming Canada Summit on March 8th and 9th. Field asked him, with the rise of cryptocurrency against seismic shifts in the past year, what role does he see cryptocurrency playing in the banking sector? There is a role for crypto assets. There's no question about it. And it's going to be part of the financial industry in some way, shape or form. And I think we've just started to kind of scratch the usefulness of cryptocurrency. We talked years ago that we thought it was going to be a major disruptor to the financial services industry, and we haven't necessarily seen that. I think that's going to change as crypto exchanges come up and you know people start getting more invested in crypto assets. I think there is going to be obviously more financial services that get wrapped around them. But that creates a lot of, again, complexity for you know security in organizations where you know we may get called in to speak to fraud in the cryptocurrency space because traditional fraud instruments aren't designed to deal with that problem. Have we started kind of heading down that road? No, we haven't. We haven't really, because I don't think we've necessarily seen that momentum behind crypto assets, but it is starting to gain momentum. There's no question. I think the flip side of that coin, just to go back to the criminal economy, is you're going to see more adoption of cryptocurrency usage in the criminal economy. And as crypto assets and cryptocurrencies are more generally accepted in society, it just gives the the cyber criminals another opportunity to move the proceeds of crime outside of the traditional financial system. And again, that's problematic, not just for us, but for government, law enforcement. It's going to be a challenge, no question. And finally, Associate Editor for ISMG Asia, Supana Kaswami, has been exploring the world of synthetic ID fraud. And in a recent interview with Al Pasquale, Senior Vice President, Data Breach Solutions at Sontec, she asked him, how will the identity market evolve in 2022? Here's his response. Things are getting more complicated for sure. Even prior to the last year or two, when we think about identity, you know, we thought about offline identities and online identities. We had these kind of two boxes that we were working with. And, you know, you have these initiatives like digital driver's licenses that, you know, have the potential to bring those two together. But just the last year or two between crypto 
We've seen you know some spectacular failures in NFTs recently. Uh, the metaverse. We thought we kind of had that finish line within our sites, and the finish line has just moved beyond the horizon now. These new areas, these new technologies, these new opportunities to connect, to share, transact that are still being defined, that are going to have a tremendous impact on how we navigate identity, not to mention just trying to bridge it all together, having an offline identity that corresponds to a traditional digital identity that you can then use in the metaverse because pseudo anonymity only seems to be in vogue you know, every handful of years, right? So solving for all that, bringing that stuff together. There's a lot to figure out now, right? That two years ago, we thought we were close to solving. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in the identity space. You know, we're all going to stay super busy. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Thank you.